0: And we can't help but be excited about it. Yeah. I'm here to tell you. Um, so excited about today. We're gonna continue our You Ask For It series. But today we're gonna highlight some questions that our students and our e-kids have asked today. And man, they did not let Pastor Josh have a week off. <laughs> they they have asked some really, really good questions. We're gonna dive into that in just a little bit. But after service, guys, here's another something I'm excited about. After service today. Dude, we get to have an ice cream party. I'm way excited about that. Yeah, apparently the kids are really excited about that. If you're a guest here today, if you're a guest here today, what we do on Family Sundays is we let all of our older um, E kids, H kids come into service because our students are usually in here. But most of our children's ministry is in here with us on this Sunday because we believe in investing in the next generation. We believe families are important. But we're also smart. So we let all the four-year-old and, and under kids go back to the nursery so that mom and dads don't have to freak out, um, keeping those little tornadoes under control during service. So, um, so we got that taken care of today. But I'm excited about today. I'm excited about the ice cream party that Pastor Brad is sponsoring for the entire church today. It's going to be amazing to see all that happen. We're, we still got negotiations in place to actually get the funds from him, but we're having an in-faith. <laughs> Uh, in-faith ice cream party today with Pastor Brad's name on it. It's going to be so much fun. Hey, uh, next week I'm going to get to finish the message that I started last week. So if you were, how many of y'all were here last week in service? Yeah, we were diving into some some really easy topics. Uh, Last week we started talking about uh, the illegal immigration and refugee crisis, what um, the Christian response should be to it. Um, we didn't get to what we're going to talk about next week, which is gun control. You guys are asking these questions, by the way. So thanks for putting me on the spot with some of this stuff. Uh, so, But we're gonna, we're gonna, next week we're going to look at um, gun control. Does the Bible even say we have the right to bear arms? How should a Christian approach all of that stuff in an incredibly volatile political climate? And then what should our response be? and that we're still trying to impact this world for Jesus Christ through the middle of all of that. So next week's going uh, to be a really good, really good Sunday. We're going to dive into that, and then the weeks after that, we're going to answer as many questions as you guys have asked as possible over the next several weeks. But today is different. Today we're going to answer questions that were asked by our students and our kids. But before we get to that, we got to have our competition. Oh, yeah. we got to have our competition. Every Family Sunday, look, some of y'all are already holding your ears because you know what's fixing to happen. We get to see who gets to shout Jesus the loudest, whether it's the adults or whether it's the kids, all right? And you know, whoever shouts Jesus the loudest, it means you love them more than the other group. So, but last week, we're kidding with that. Uh, but last, the last time we did this, our adults won. So, hey, adults, way to represent, way to represent. <clears throat> so... This Family Sunday, is it going to be the adults or is it going to be the kids? It's going to be adults or is it going to be the kids? We'll see who the champion's going to be today. Since the adults won last week, the adults, you get to go... Or I say last week, the last Family Sunday we had. Adults, you get to go first. Kids, you get to try to beat it, okay? So on the count of three, every adult... And listen, y'all better represent because these kids are about to blow your eardrums out here in a minute. Y'all better represent. You're going to get embarrassed. So on the count of three... All the adults, let's shout Jesus as loud as we can. All right, you're defending your title. It's all on the line. Bragging rate, bragging rights are uh, are at risk here. So, um, if you don't want smack talk at the dinner table, <laughs> grown ups, you better represent. All right, here we go. One, two, three. Jesus. <laughs> that was good. That was good. I think you guys might be in trouble this time, though. Kids, are we ready? Yeah, 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 y'all might be in trouble. So, all right, kids, we're going for the title. On the count of three, shout Jesus as loud as you can. All right, we want our team to win. So, kids, students, let me hear it on count of three. One, two, three. Yeah. Yeah. (whistles) Woo. We're going to take a five-minute break. Anybody? Did just your eardrums just exploded? We can have a special time of prayer. Anybody? We'll pray. We'll pray for God to heal some ears this morning. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's a no-brainer. Adults, we did good, but I gotta tell you, the champion for this family Sunday, kids, you won. Y'all did a great job. Good job. Good job. Y'all are doing victory dances and everything over there. Okay. All right. All right. Pride comes before the fall. (laughs) You might have won, but don't talk too much smack because mom and dad are still in charge of chores and budgets and who gets allowances and and all that stuff. So Christmas is getting pretty close too. Keep all that in mind. Can I get an amen from the parents? (laughs) You might have won, but we're still in control. (laughs) All right. We're going to dive into this stuff today. I'm excited about today. These kids did not ask easy questions, but we're going to try to just blast through this as as quickly as possible. Still give some good answers to these questions. Some of them are really good. I want to get to that ice cream party. That's going to be fun. But before we get to the ice cream party, Jesus is going to do some stuff in the service today. So we've got video questions asked by all of our kids and students this morning. So let's go ahead and roll with the first one today. Why do they say we're born again in the Bible? Why does the Bible say we're born again? That's a good question. That's a really fun question. There's a dude named Nicodemus in the Bible who asked the same question of Jesus because Jesus was telling him, hey, if you want to come into the kingdom of heaven, you got to be born again. That just sounds weird, doesn't it? Like, like Jesus said, Jesus said a lot of weird things, like through his ministry and his time on the earth. That's got to be like one of the, the craziest ones. And it threw Nicodemus off because it was like, okay, I got to be what again? How am I supposed to get back up inside my mama's belly? That, that doesn't even make sense. You know, how, how's that supposed to happen? So Jesus started breaking it down for him. And I'll give you kind of a, a paraphrased version of what Jesus said. Here's why the Bible says, That we're born again. And this is so exciting when you think about it this way. Because when you accept Jesus into your heart, which is way awesome. When you accept Jesus into your heart, this is what the Bible says happens. It says that we literally come alive on the inside. And our spirits come alive for the first time. Because before that, the Bible says we're spiritually dead. When we ask Jesus into our hearts... We come alive for the first time. And it's really literally like this transformation takes place. And as the Bible says that when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, it says that those that are in Christ are a new creation. We literally get to start all over again. You know, all the mistakes, all of our past gets washed away, and we get a new start on life. And so it really is literally a new start on life, which is like getting born all over again, fresh and new. To live this life for Jesus. So that's why the Bible talks about being born again. Does that make sense? It's a really, really, really good question. Uh, Let's hit the next one. Uh, Do people ever lose their salvation? Okay. Like I said, these are some great questions coming from these kids. Do people ever lose their salvation? Now, depending on your church background or what denomination you may or may not have uh, grown up in, um, there might be some confusion on this because a lot of people teach a lot of different things. I'm more interested in what the Bible says on something, personally. Here is a great answer for this question. Are you ready? The answer is yes and no. Does that that clear it up for you? It's yes and no. Can you lose your salvation? Yes and no. Um Let's go ahead and, and let's look at what the Bible says first, and I'll explain what I'm talking about. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. It reads like this It says, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. All right. What does that mean? That means that after we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the Bible says we get what? We get forgiven. Of all of that junk that we did in our past, right? Okay. Hebrews 10.26 says, yeah, you get forgiven. But if we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. Now, that word deliberately is a good word to key in on here. Because that means that we're making a willful choice. A willful choice. Ushers, could we please go out there and see who is killing a kid in that hallway I know that's got to be distracting for everyone in here. It's distracting me. And I bet you $1.50, it's my kid back there doing all of it. So we're all just family here this morning. Um, But if we deliberately keep on sinning, if we willfully choose to continue to do that junk after Jesus has forgiven us, then that's different. Something comes into play here, even though we're forgiven. Because now we're talking about a condition of the heart. Our salvation, when we ask, I know I'm using big words here, but when, when we ask Jesus in our heart, we choose to do that. It's a willful choice that we make. We're asking God to forgive us of our sins. This is talking about us willfully choosing in our hearts to turn around and go the opposite direction. So if our hearts change, then yeah, we can put ourselves in a place where we're in danger of losing that salvation and that grace that God gives us, okay? That's what this is talking about here. Now, some people say, well, that's crazy because you could never sin so much that God doesn't love you, and you could never sin so much that God's grace and forgiveness can't cover it, and that is absolutely true, okay? It's absolutely true. This is why I said the answer to the question is yes and no. Because there is no limit on the amount of sin that we can commit that God won't forgive us. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for all sin. Every sin throughout all time that people had ever committed or will ever commit in our lives, Jesus died to pay the price for that sin. Okay, God's grace covers us when we make mistakes. That's what his grace is there for. But his grace is there to cover us. As long as our hearts are in a willing place to want to continue to grow and draw closer to, to Jesus. Does it make sense? It's a heart issue. So we might make a mistake and mess up. And God's grace is there to cover us making a mistake and messing up. Because sometimes people mess up. Sometimes Pastor Josh messes up. And I need God's grace to cover me in those moments. But to willfully choose. To do something, even though I know that it's wrong, and continue to do it, and to continue to do it, even though that I know that it's wrong. That signals a change in my heart, and it means that I'm not trying to please God anymore. That means I'm doing what I want to do. And when we turn our backs on God and do what we want to do, we put ourselves in a really dangerous spot to lose our salvation because our hearts have changed. It's all about the heart, okay? God will always forgive. God's grace will always cover as long as our hearts... Our hearts are in the right place. But when that heart changes and we're no longer concerned about that, then we put ourselves in a dangerous spot. We can choose to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we can use that free will to choose to walk away from him. All right? That's what the Bible says. And that's That's why the answer is yes and no. Uh, You're never going to really be able to do so much that God can't forgive. But when your heart changes, that's a you thing. That's not a God thing. That's a you thing. And you can walk away just like you walked to him. So that's a really good question, by the way. That's a really good, really good question. that makes sense? All right. Uh, let's go to this next one. This next one is Judah giving us a walk. God through. made everything. Yeah. God made everything? Yeah. On the seventh day, reaching on the safe place. I don't know what on the other day she does. I don't remember. And on the seventh day, he rested. He rested? Yeah. Awesome. Good job. And there you go. That's the story of creation by Judah. So, good job, Judah. God created everything. He did a whole bunch of stuff he didn't understand on the other days. And then on the last day, he rested. So, there you go. In case you were wondering... There you go, straight from Judah. All right, let's get to the next question. This is a good one. Who wrote the Bible? Who wrote the Bible? Who wrote the Bible? Let me, let me ask you a question. Um, how many of you have ever done homework before? How many of you love homework? I hate homework. If you don't like homework... On the count of three, say with me, I don't like homework. One, two, three. I ha- yeah, I don't. I do not like homework. Now, how many of you have ever had a problem with your homework that you had to ask your parents or your grown-ups to help you with? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've, I've had, when I was in school, I had problems. And sometimes when Hannah gets problems on her homework, I don't know the answer to i got to go to other people and still get help answering questions. On that stuff, but you go to your mom and your dad or your grandparents or whoever's there as an adult to help you out to answer the question. And what happens is they give you the answer, and then you write it down. Usually, or they tell you how to get the answer, and then you write the answer down. Right? Okay, that's how the Bible was written. Okay, the Bible. We'll we'll get to this in just a second. But God gave man the answer. He gave man the Word of God, and we wrote it down. Okay? I'm going to read you what the Bible says. Um, it says in, uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16, just a couple of verses we're going to read here. It says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So we see from the Word of God that all Scripture is God-breathed. It means it's inspired by God. Uh, 2, Timothy, or 2 uh, Peter uh, chapter 1 In verse 21, it says, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Okay? This is how we got scripture, and that the Holy Spirit spoke to and led these people. And as he spoke to them, they wrote down what the Spirit of God put on their hearts. Now, if you're not familiar with church world and the function of the Holy Spirit, that might sound weird to you, but let me show you this. How many of you in here this morning would say that in your prayer time and in reading the Word of God, the Holy Spirit has spoken to you and given you something specific about your life, and you wrote it down on the pad or something like that. How many of you would say that this morning? Okay, look at all the hands going up. Holy Spirit's still speaking today to people on an individual level. But as far as Scripture's concerned, um, this is what's cool, all right? The Bible was written over a period of about 1,500 years, give or take. That's a long time, right? And the Bible was, um, was written down... By give t- I think around 40 people, I think 30 for the Old Testament and 10 for the New Testament. So 40 people over 1,500 years wrote down what we have as the Bible and Scripture as the Holy Spirit gave them what to write. Now, some of you might say, well, why didn't he just give it all at one time? That's one of those questions. Why not just spit it all out at once? I think it's a really cool way to actually prove that the Bible is God-inspired. All right? Over 1,500 years, you get 40 people to write something, listen now, that is in perfect concert and unity and fits together flawlessly, flawlessly, all of it together. When we go into this room after service to have ice cream, we're not even going to be able to get the people in this room to agree on what flavor of ice cream is the best. You know what I mean? How many chocolate people are there? You love chocolate ice cream? I love yeah, how many of y'all are just, just hardcore, old-school vanilla ice cream? Yeah. And see, and if I started to say strawberry or cookies and cream or let's get some kind of sherbet or just pack as much peanut butter in there with a the chocolate as possible, see, there's so many options, we're never going to agree on all that. So to get 40 people to write in perfect harmony over 1,500 years, that's something. All right, that's another way God is just showing us he is in control. And Scripture's god read There's a whole lot of other stuff I could show you. We just don't have time for today. So if you got more questions about that, come up and hit me up or, or hit up uh, Pastor Kelly and the E-Kids team. They'd love to answer some of these questions too. I know Emily loves answering questions like that, so be sure to, to ask Emily. Um, but short answer, I know I gave you a lot of details, though. Um, The Holy Spirit authored it. He inspired it. But people wrote it down as he gave them what to say. Okay? That's how that happened. So that's who wrote the Bible. Uh, What's the next question we've got this morning? Is baptism necessary for salvation? (laughs) I love it. I love it. That might be the coolest question all morning just because of the dance. Got that swag going. Is baptism necessary for salvation? Uh, Let me give you a really short answer, okay? No. No. It's not. Let me jump back to the Bible, and I'll explain a little bit. Um, The Bible says in Romans 10, starting at verse 9, It says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, there it is right again, the heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. It's a heart thing. It's a heart thing. It's a heart thing. It's a heart thing. Okay? Baptism. Now, again, depending on the denomination you may have grown up in, some people teach that, hey, you don't get to go to heaven if you're not baptized. The Bible doesn't say that anywhere. Anywhere. And if you got questions on that, I'd love to sit with you and answer them in more detail than I'm about to give you now. Um, it's a heart thing. Salvation hinges on the heart. Our heart's response to God, our heart accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior, it's a heart thing, not a getting dunked in water thing. Two completely different things, all right? Now, should you get baptized? Yeah, absolutely. We actually did a message on this uh, a few weeks ago. Um, Should you get baptized? Absolutely. Jesus set an example for us and got baptized. So after you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior... You get baptized, and and we can see in in a lot of different places in Scripture, these are separate acts, separate from each other. Even in the Great Commission, um, Jesus says, Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, comma, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus even separated the process of salvation and discipleship from baptism. You can't be a, a disciple if you haven't first accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, So salvation comes first. Then baptism is just going public with what Jesus has already done in your heart. So when we go down under that water, it's like you're saying, you know what? I'm dying to my old way of life. I'm leaving it all in the grave, and I'm coming up a new creation in Christ Jesus, alive with him. To live my life to please him. That's what you're saying. Two completely separate things. Um, and I could point you to a lot of other examples in scripture, like the thief on the cross who was with Jesus. Um, before he died, he said, Hey, uh, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, Hey, today you're going to be with me in paradise. He never got a chance to get baptized, you know. And uh, Jesus said, You still be with me in paradise. Some other stuff to think about is this if Jesus died on the cross for all of our sin, All of our sin, okay? He died for all our sin on the cross. All right, not at Wendy's. He didn't hop off and go handle some other business, you know, um, at at Walmart or anything like that. He handled all the business on the cross. Okay, everybody say the cross. He handled all the business on the cross. He died once for all sin. The Bible talks about all of our sin being forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross. He died on the cross to pay the price for our sins because we couldn't pay that price on our own. All right? Just a common sense way to think this through. Why would God send his son to die for our sins to do what we couldn't do on our own and then say, none of that matters, though, unless you let somebody dunk you in water? You know what I mean? That doesn't even make sense when you common sense your way through it. So, is baptism necessary for salvation? Negative. It is not necessary for salvation, but it's incredibly important. And if you're here this morning and you haven't been baptized yet, dude, you should totally get baptized for a lot of cool reasons. One, because you get a free t shirt and it's awesome. Uh, but two, uh, because you get to go public. And this is the bigger reason you get to go public and let all your friends and family know about what Jesus has done in your heart. And it's incredibly important to get that out there. All right. What's the next question we got today? How come Zacchaeus was so small, man? How come Zacchaeus was such a small man? I love that. I can relate with that. Zacchaeus was my dude in the Bible. I love that. Um, sometimes I wonder why God makes us so different. You now you got like you got tall people and short people. I'm one of the short people. Dave Varney is one of the tall people. Um, but God made us the way he wanted to make us. You got, um, you've got people that are skinny, people that are not skinny, people that just naturally have a lot of muscle, and then you've got people that naturally just can't get muscle, even if they eat 15,000 calories a day because their metabolism is just set a certain way. You've got red hair, blonde hair, brunettes all together, you know, Um, God created us different, and I think that's good because that keeps things from getting boring, keeps it from getting boring, Um, you know, I I used to have trouble with this question of of identity um, when when I was in school, I got picked on a lot in school, I got made fun of a lot in school because I wasn't the tallest kid in class, and compared to the other other guys in class, I was kind of short. And so I get picked on a lot, and it bothered me, man. And it really kind of got me angry in a way. And and I always had trouble with that. And I always asked, God, why did you make me small? You know? So I'm going to tie this into the question with Zacchaeus. Why was Zacchaeus so small? I remember when I realized that, you know what? God makes us all the way that he makes us because he's got a specific plan for our lives that nobody else gets to do but us. Nobody else. And the Bible says that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. So that means that all of our differences and all the things that we might be insecure about could actually be attributes. Because while I'm not the tallest guy, God's given me other gifts to be able to do what he's called me to do. You know? And uh, the same with you. God has gifted you specifically to do what he has called you to do. And I think... The reason why Zacchaeus was so small was because God made him that way so that he could do exactly what God had called him to do in a way that nobody else could do it. God made him perfect the way he was to do what he called him to do. Don't let people make you feel weird because you look different. Don't let people make you feel weird because you might not have the giftings that they have. And don't feel like, you're less than because you think your gifts don't match up with somebody else's gifts. Listen, you are the only person that is qualified to do what God has called you to do. And God gave you all the gifts and made you exactly the way that he did. Whether, you, whether it, it lines up with, with what everybody else is doing or not, he made you exactly the way he did so that you could do exactly what he called you to do. And nobody else gets to do that but you. So why did he make Zacchaeus so small? So that he could accomplish God's plan with all the gifts just the way he made him to do it. Good stuff? All right. What do we got next? Why would God force Jonah to go to the city if, to tell people that they would die if they didn't leave their own city and all their stuff behind? Why did God force Jonah to go to Nineveh? That's a good question. That's a good question. A lot of of times in the Bible where you look at things and you wonder if God imposes his will on people or if he allows them to operate in their free will, and I'll just put your heart at ease. Um, God's pretty consistent with who he is and what he does, and he may try to box us in to do what he wants us to do, But ultimately, God does not override free will at all. He lets us choose. Um, Let's look at this, though, because God called this guy, Jonah, to go preach to a bunch of people in a city called what? Nineveh. Nineveh, That's right. Nineveh was a really, really, really big city, and they were doing a lot of messed up stuff. And God said, hey, they're doing some wicked stuff, Jonah. I want you to go there and preach to them. And I want you to tell them what I'm going to tell you when you get there. And let's look at what Jonah did. All right, Jonah, in uh, Jonah chapter 1, there's a word of the Lord came to Jonah. And he says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He ran away. Jonah did it. So Jonah says, okay, um, that's a little scary. I don't want to do what God wants me to do. So he starts going in the other direction, Literally. Like, Nineveh would be way down this way. Some people think Nineveh was about 500 miles from where Jonah lived. Tarshish, you want to guess how far away that was from where Jonah lived? A lot further. Some people think it could have been as far as 2,500 miles away from where Jonah was. Okay, so Jonah was going to try to go about 2,500 miles in the other direction. From where God wanted him to go. Tarshish was like this podunk in the middle of nowhere village that you went to if you wanted to disappear. And that's what Jonah was trying to do. He was trying to run from God and disappear to hide from God's will for his life. Has anybody in here ever done that before? God called you to do something, and you're like, yeah, it looks a little, I don't know about that. And not, we might not have hit the road and went 2,500 miles in the other direction, but you know what I mean. So Jonah says no, so he tries to get a boat ride to go to Tarsus, and uh, in the middle of it, God sends a storm. The waters get rough, the sailors on the boat, they get really scared. Jonah says, hey, this is my fault, I disobeyed God, he's doing this because I disobeyed him. Jonah, I'm paraphrasing, but he recognizes that what's happening isn't really God forcing him to do something, but it's God responding to Jonah's disobedience because Jonah chose to do it. Okay, you hear me? Um, so they throw Jonah overboard, and he gets swallowed by a great big fish. Everybody do this, go. Yeah, it wasn't baby shark. It was daddy shark, probably. It was a big fish. Some people think it was a whale. We don't really know what it, is, what it was. The Bible says it was a great big fish. So he's in the belly of this fish for three days, and his heart changes in Jonah chapter 2. So you get a change of heart in Jonah. And God makes this fish throw Jonah up. That's just gross. Throw him up. Everybody do this, all right? Everybody go, Bleh! Okay, that wasn't, some of y'all, no. We got, if we're going to throw up, we got to throw up good. All right, I'm talking from the bottom of the stomach. So everybody, one, two, three, blah That was a little bit better. What did you guys do in church today? Oh, it was awesome. We all threw up. It was great. It was a great service. So he throws Jonah up, and then God talks to Jonah, and he tells him to do this again. Why are you saying all this, Pastor Josh? Because I want to paint a picture before I answer the question. Um, Jonah 3, verse 1, says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh. Proclaim to it the message I give you. And look what happens this time. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. So now Jonah's choosing to obey God and going to Nineveh. This is a choice that Jonah made, okay? So he goes to Nineveh, and he preaches. You know how big Nineveh was? A lot of people think that Nineveh had somewhere like around 120, 130,000 people living there. So it was a pretty big town. Jonah gets there, and he preaches, and all the people change their hearts, and they stop doing all the wicked stuff, and they fast, and they pray, and they ask God to forgive them, and they change, and then God changes his mind because he was going to destroy Nineveh because of how wicked they were, but because they changed their hearts, he decided not to destroy them, but he decided to show mercy on them, okay? Listen, Jonah is not a story about God making someone do what he wants them to do. Jonah is a story about second chances. Okay? Second chances. And it shows that even if you disobey God, if you can change your heart, God will give you a second, third, fourth, fifth, even a sixth, umpteenth dozens chance as long as your heart is right. Jonah got a second chance. He did what God called him to do. And because of that, God was able to orchestrate the change of heart in 120,000 people that would have been destroyed. God's a God of second chances. So it's not about God forcing Jonah to do this. It's It's about Jonah choosing finally to do the right thing, accepting the second chance that God gave him so that the people of Nineveh could have a second chance to change their hearts and live for God. That's pretty good stuff, huh? It's pretty good stuff. What is... The next, uh uh-oh, this is the last question. Everybody say last question. question. Are you ready for the last question? All right, here's the last one. Let's see what it is. It's always like, what if our religion is fake? I don't believe them. And you shouldn't believe them. If they say, what if your religion is fake? Don't Don't believe them. Don't believe them. Don't believe them you realize that Christianity is like the only, if you want to call it a quote-unquote religion, that actually has evidence to support everything that we claim to be true about our Lord and Savior and our God. Now, all the other stuff might have some historical stuff that kind of goes in line. But, you know, uh, Buddha never raised from the dead. Uh, I can't think back on any uh, any other God that was able to pull the raising from the dead thing out of the hat, and, and he's the only one that's done it. There's a, there's a whole lot of evidence. How do we know that, uh, that Christianity, I'll say it like that. I don't like calling what we do religion, okay? I, I don't like that, and there's nothing wrong with the way the question was asked because it was asked from a certain perspective, but there's a difference between religion and Christianity. Religion is man-made, okay? Religion is man's attempt to get close to a God that he doesn't understand. okay? Christianity is different. Christianity is God's plan to establish relationship with us. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship. Religion tries to earn standing with the God that you're, you're, you're trying to understand or serve. Christianity is about our God. Saving and restoring us with his grace and his mercy so that, listen, just so he could hang out with us and talk with us and get to know us. Big difference between religion and Christianity. So how can you prove that Christianity is true and all the other stuff is fake? Well, it's real easy to prove all the other stuff is fake. Proving Christianity is true something different. We could spend all day answering this question. And it's not because I'm long-winded. It's just because there's that much evidence. There's that much evidence to prove that Jesus is who he says he is, to prove that the Bible is the legitimate God-inspired word of God to us. We could go all day into the next day looking at historical reference after historical reference, proving that Christianity is true. But here's some things just to guide you. If you want to study this stuff on your own, here's some good things to look at. Uh, First thing, you want to look at history. You want to look at history and look at science. History and science prove that Christianity is the truth. Prove. They prove without a doubt historical evidence to back up um, a ton of Bible studies. Just looking at um, when Moses was taking the children of Israel out of Egypt, they had to cross the Red Sea. Y'all remember that? Everybody say cross over. Okay, had to cross over the Red Sea, and Moses stood there with his staff in the air, and God made the wind blow, and the water split apart, and they got, all the Israelites got across, and here comes Pharaoh's army, and the Bible says that the water crashed in on Pharaoh's army, killed all of them, destroyed them, okay? Well, a guy said, you know what, if this story is true, there ought to be some evidence of it somewhere. So he goes to the Red Sea, and he finds a place, it's really the only spot in the Red Sea, where a group of people in the millions could cross. The slope and grade of, of, the, of the sea going right there is perfect for all the people to cross over. So he goes there, they dive down, and they get video footage of what they find down there. Okay, it is isn't hearsay, video footage of what they found. You can, I think you can probably find it pretty easy on YouTube. They get down there, and you know what they find? They find uh, skeletons. They find horse hoofs down there. They find the remains of chariots down there. They find shields, swords, spears, all of it dating back to the time period that the Bible says it happened in right there. That's just one example out of all day we could talk about how history proves that the Bible is legitimate and that what we say we believe about Jesus and Christianity is true. Science the same thing. More people are choosing to jump over to the side of intelligent design when it comes to explaining how we all got here. They're, they're moving over by boatloads because there is no evidence to support the theory of evolution. But there's a ton of evidence to support the the science of intelligent design. There's no way any of this could be here unless an intelligent God put it into place. Just take the the orbit of the earth and how it interacts with all the other planets. We have all these planets in orbit around us while we're in orbit around the sun. And none of the orbit of those planets, the gravitational pull, does not pull us off track. They're perfectly placed perfectly placed and in some ways perfectly placed to help aid us in our orbit around the sun. The moon the same way as it orbits around the earth. It affects the tides and tons of ecosystems that we have here. Perfectly placed. Perfectly positioned. That couldn't happen by accident. The earth is put in such a way as that orbits around the around the sun. If if we were tilted one way just a degree further this way, we'd freeze up. A degree in the other direction, we would burn up. We're perfectly placed in position. That stuff doesn't happen by accident. You have to have somebody setting it up and designing the whole thing. That's just one example. We could go all day. How history and science prove the Word of God. Second way, prophecy. You can look at prophecy. The prophecies about Jesus just by themselves make Christianity airtight. Airtight. Um, Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of prophecies about Jesus. Very specific on where he would be born, you know, and and very specific details about his life, what what he would accomplish and what he would do and those kind of things. Um, Some guy got smart and said, we're just going to take a handful of those hundreds of prophecies and do the mathematical odds on the probability of those things coming to pass. And I think they I think it was either four or six. I can't remember prophecies that they picked and ran the odds, okay? On just that small number, the odds the odds of Jesus being able to do just four or six of the hundreds of prophecies made about him. Look at this number. It's one in a whole bunch of that. I always forget, is that a quadrillion or a quintillion? I think it's a quadrillion, isn't it? Yeah, one in one hundred quadrillion. Alright. Now that's just with four to six. Can you imagine what the odds are for the over the, the hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds? Everyone that he fulfilled. Everyone, yeah. Bing, just like that. Let the light come on. Just like that. Everyone, he fulfilled. A number on a screen is one thing, okay? Just the odds, just the odds of Jesus fulfilling the small number would be like this. It would be like us taking a quarter and coloring it red, okay? And then taking that quarter and throwing it in a big batch of other quarters, and we go to the state of Texas. Okay, you know how big the state of Texas is? It's huge. Everybody go, huge. It's huge. Texas is huge. Huge. If we put quarters in the state of Texas a few inches thick and covered the entire state of Texas, okay, the odds of Jesus just fulfilling a few of those prophecies to be that number right there would be like you walking out somewhere in the state of Texas and randomly, eyes closed, picking that one quarter inches deep covering the whole state, okay, it's mathematically impossible can't be done. It can't be done. Jesus is who he says he is. 100% of the time. So that's another way. The last way, the resurrection. Irrefutable evidence on the resurrection. It's not a happy little bedtime story, guys. Irrefutable evidence. Okay? What do you mean? Well, let's go back to history. There's historical documents unearthed from the time period that talk about a man named Jesus, how specific can you get? A man named Jesus who was crucified and then who was seen raised again after he was dead. Okay? Some random... Okay? More than one, more than one historical piece that has that written down. Here's another thing. After Jesus was dead, he appeared to over 500 people 500 at once, but well over 500 during the time after he had been raised from the dead before he ascended to heaven, okay? Um, just the fact that the Roman guards went back and said that tomb is empty is huge in and of itself because that meant a death sentence to them because they were supposed to guard that tomb and now the tomb is empty. That means they willingly went back and reported that that thing's empty. We don't know what's going on. There was a big old dude that rolled that stone away, and we're freaked out right now. You know, whatever it was was enough to freak them out and make them go back knowing they're probably going to be killed. And then we have historical evidence to show that the Pharisees tried to cover up, to cover up the resurrection of Jesus by spreading lies and false narratives. Okay? The resurrection is a powerful tool. So history history and science um, man (laughs) just prophecy itself and then looking at the resurrection those are three great ways to know to know to know that Christianity is real you know the best way to know though it's because it's personal it's personal facts and irrefutable numbers are one thing but I know what Jesus did inside of me And you'll never be able to convince me of anything else than the fact that he is Lord and Savior of my life and that he has completely transformed me from the inside out because I know who I was. I know the condition that my heart used to be in. And I know what he's done in me. And I know what I've seen him do and so many other people. Irrefutable. You can't take that away from me. Can't take it away from me. And as we close the service today, before we go get ice cream, you know what? You can know that Jesus in the same way. It doesn't just have to be numbers on screens or maybe something you're going to research later. He can be a personal Lord and Savior for you this morning. So everyone, if you will, stand to your feet. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Let's get ready to pray. Before we go have a great ice cream party, I want to ask you a question. Is Jesus Lord and Savior of your life? We could spend all day talking about evidence that proves that He is who He says He is. And I'm so grateful that God was wise enough to give us that so that we could prove from a practical way that He is who He says He is. But I'm so grateful that He doesn't just stop there and He doesn't just stay an abstract God. He's a personal, a personal Lord and Savior who so desires to let us know that he loves us and just wants to be with us. If you're here today and Jesus isn't your Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to ask him into your heart this morning to get forgiven of the sin that's in your life, forgiven for the the junk that's in your life. And you know what? Not just the bad stuff, because God just isn't a God that forgives the bad stuff. He's a God that can heal our hearts from a lot of the junk that's happened to us in our lives. Cuz this world is a messed up place. And it's going to stay a messed up place until God creates a new earth. And until then, we got to live on this thing. And we can get hurt a lot. We can get we can get bumped up and bruised a lot by life. And the same Jesus that forgives us of our sins is the same Jesus that can heal and can restore what this world has tried to take from us. And I'm so grateful that he does that. The beautiful thing about the question is Jesus, Lord and Savior of your life, is you know the answer right now. Like, Like, I don't even have to say anything else you know. And I don't want to put pressure on you. but I don't want you to walk out of here and miss an opportunity to get that right because the consequences are pretty heavy. And I'm not trying to scare you, but the Bible does say... That if we die and our name isn't in the book of life, if we die and Jesus isn't Lord and Savior of our lives, if we die and we haven't accepted that forgiveness, then then God's got no choice. Because at that point, we've sent ourselves to hell. The Bible says that he would that none should perish, but that all could receive eternal life. I want to give you that chance today. I want you to roll the dice on where you're going to spend eternity. And I don't want you to miss out on the love of God. And I definitely don't want you to miss out on the opportunity to have him begin the process of healing.